Today's reading comes from Romans 8, chapter 18, verse 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, Redemption Arcadia. So thankful that you're here on this Mother's Day. Uh, that, that reading, there's nothing better than that reading every year. And, and to have been deliberate so uh, heart heart-filled and, and uh, artfully is just, it's a beautiful picture. One of the things that popped out at me this, uh, this time through it uh, was the empty nesters and rejoicing with the empty, ne- empty nesters and, and being sorrowful with the empty nesters because there's that sort of dual nature of sorrow and joy that comes with uh, motherhood and comes with parenting and that we see for sure in this passage today in Romans 8. So my name is Tyler Thompson. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor of worship and communities here at Redemption Arcadia. And uh, Pastor Frank is actually on a study break. And so I'm thankful to be able to jump in on this uh, series. We've been in the book of Romans and specifically in the chapter uh, chapter 8 of Romans. Uh, And we're looking at the ways that the Holy Spirit uh, enables and empowers believers, uh, as, as is written here in Romans chapter 8. And so today we have the spirit of hope, and the subtitle is Hope in the Midst of a Groaning Creation. Um, I'm always amazed at how when we go straight through Scripture, God opens up the words of the text exactly when we need to hear it by His Spirit. And uh, I'm told that those who set up this series in Romans 8 didn't actually plan to have this message on Mother's Day, but that it worked out exactly that way. Pastor Frank started talking about adoption uh, as God's children last week. And today in Romans 8, 18 through 25, this idea, this childbirth imagery is, uh, is just throughout the text. And so I'm really thankful to be able to share this uh, text with you all today. Uh, we, as we read, we started in verse 18, but I'm going to actually read for us uh, in John 16, verse 21, the words of Jesus as Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, this is during Holy Week, the, the week that Jesus would lead up to his eventual death and burial and resurrection. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about some of the hardships and trouble that they will face in this world. And uh, he also uses this childbirth imagery to help us understand what that might be like. And so John 16, 21, Jesus says this, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. 
These are fascinating words from Jesus, an insight into what that is in the childbirth experience. And they've actually done studies about this uh, with women who have given birth and about the anguish that they uh, feel going, leading up to the delivery and then about how that the anguish, it doesn't completely go away in terms of uh, remembering and recalling the pain. But they've done scientific studies that it is de- greatly diminished in the mind of the women because the baby is now here. And so there's that imagery from Jesus that we might go through very difficult times in the present, but that what we will come to in Christ later will greatly diminish the suffering that we had gone through at the time. I know this firsthand because when, uh, when Liz had uh, given birth to, to our, our daughter Charlotte, uh, right after the birth, she said, I'm not ever going to do that again. <laughs> and we have three kids. <laughs> so uh, that, that is how that goes. And uh, there's a sense where Paul in this passage is helping us to understand that, that all of us are going to have this to some extent, that we are all going to go through this difficulty, uh, but that the, what we will come through the difficulty and into Christ, the glory that is to be in Christ, will greatly outweigh the difficulty that we have in this moment. And so that's our text for today. That, that quote from Jesus really encapsulates our whole Romans 8 text. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Frank, uh, we've been trying to talk about uh, what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of the believers. And so last week, uh, Pastor Frank shared that the Holy Spirit does four things, and I just want to review those for us. Uh, One is that the Holy Spirit directs us, the Holy Spirit uh, convicts us, the Holy Spirit guides us, and the Holy Spirit reveals God's word to us. And that was a great message. If you missed it last week, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, This week, the Holy Spirit is also going to do four things that we see in our text. Um, And I'm going to use the word caused. Now, in Reformed theology, we oftentimes have a debate about whether or not God causes all things or God allows all things. And sometimes that's just a semantic argument. But I'm going to use the word cause, cause today because of two things. One is that the kind of suffering that Paul intends for us to go through joyfully, I don't believe that I'd be able to do that in any way, shape, or form without the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen? There are things that God will call us to and through that without the Holy Spirit, I would not be able to go through joyfully. And so I think that there is a reason that I'm going to say cause for that. The second reason is this is that in Pauline theology, as Paul's writing his letters to the churches, uh, he consistently notes that the Holy Spirit is the one that begins the work in us, the Holy Spirit is the one that sustains the work in us, and the Holy Spirit is the one who finishes the work in us. And so I want to say that the Holy Spirit will cause us to do these things for those two reasons. And here are the four things that the Holy Spirit uh, does uh, in this text in Romans 8, 18-25. One... The Holy Spirit causes us to endure present suffering. Now that's good news for us, that if you are a Christ follower, a Spirit-indwelled believer, that the Holy Spirit is going to help us go through suffering. We might ask, uh, why is there suffering in the first place? And that's a different sermon, but for now, we will just say this, that when we rebelled against God and, and committed sin against God, when Adam and Eve committed what we call the original sin... Uh, there was a brokenness that took place that we've actually even sung about this morning, not only for humanity, but for creation on the whole, that all of creation is now broken, and sin and death and suffering enters the world. And so 
That is something that we're all going to go through, but the Holy Spirit helps us to endure the present suffering. Second, the Holy Spirit causes us to wait for the glory yet to be revealed. We also sing about that. I'm always blown away, too, about how the worship songs just fit so well into the text. Uh, the glory that will be revealed in the future, the Holy Spirit causes us to wait patiently for that, knowing that God's promises will come true, knowing that God will work his purposes out in the world and in us. And the Holy Spirit causes us to wait for that glory. The Holy Spirit causes us to hope for freedom. There's a longing that the Holy Spirit puts into our lives that will help us uh, and cause us to want freedom in our lives and not uh, not to be bound in bondage to, uh, as slaves to sin. And four, the Holy Spirit causes us to wait eagerly with patience. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means to wait eagerly with patience. So let's start in verse 18 as we read. Verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son's of God. There's that word eager longing. It's the first time we're going to see it in this passage, but we'll see it several times, that, the, that we are to wait with eagerness for what God will do. And the imagery here is that the sufferings that we have now pale in comparison to the glory that we will see later. This is uh, what people oftentimes call, refer to as delayed gratification, that we will be gratified later if we are able to endure the difficult things now. And we understand this in general. Uh, we do this when we save money, for instance, that we are not going to spend something now. And that, that sort of is difficult for us to choose not to spend something, but we'll have some savings later. We understand this anytime if you learn like an instrument. For, for our house, Savannah is, is going to have her first piano recital tonight, which is really exciting for her mother, Liz, um, and, and me too. Uh, but I will tell you this, I've played piano for a long time. And it is difficult to listen to my child just learn to play a few notes. But she's doing awesome, and the end result is that she's going to have this great performance today, uh, that she's going to be able to play something that she wasn't able to play five weeks ago. And it's going to be really incredible. And so there's that present suffering that will pay off with later glory that we understand in general. And I'm just going to keep my eyes fixed on that later glory. <laughs> uh, we get this idea in general, and we, we, we see that uh, that applies to certain things in life, but we want to sort of be in charge of when we go through that suffering. Isn't that right? Like, we want to actually pick and choose what suffering we'll go through. And, and the, the sad fact is, is that it doesn't really work like that. Uh, that, that. We don't get to pick and choose which suffering we go through at what time. Thankfully, there is a God that knows about these things, that has a plan for us, and that fills us with the Holy Spirit, enabling us to go through that suffering and understand what he's doing in our lives. And we won't always understand it, but he'll help us to, to understand it as we go. Uh, the other phrase in here that I just want uh, to, to help you under, um, focus on is this phrase, sons of God. Now, 
it's not that it's the sons of God because we're excluding women. That would be a travesty on Mother's Day. Uh, but it is that this phrase, sons of God, would evoke the idea in the, the Romans' minds about this adoption process that has been started, that we are, have been adopted by God. Now, in, in uh, the Roman culture, there are a couple of different landmarks in the adoption process. Uh, one is uh, that when you uh, are 14, uh, you sort of have uh, family voting rights. So you've been adopted into a family, and when you're 14 years old, you have the ability to sort of speak into the family a little bit. You might be able to have influence with your voice. Um, but there's another landmark when you're 25 that you now have what's more known as property rights or inheritance rights. And so there's this sort of like now and not yet process for adoption in the Roman culture. And Paul has that in mind for us here as well, that we, we have been adopted into God's family where we have identity in his family. We have some voice and influence in the family, but we haven't received our full inheritance in God's family yet. And so this revealing of the sons of God is that uh, at one time in the future, there will be an event where God's people, God's children, will more fully receive their inheritance and the glory that is to be found in God. Uh, that phrase, that creation waits with eager longing, I'll note a couple of things about that. One is that uh, it's not only humanity that is suffering, it's not only humanity that is, is longing and waiting, but it's creation itself that is longing and groaning and waiting for God's restoration and redemption of all things. Um, and this phrase, with eager longing, that shows up several times in our passage, uh, this has the, the, the idea of waiting uh, actively, that it's not sort of just passively waiting, but there's some active waiting going on here, where we're, we're uh, waiting for what God has for us. Now, I'll just give one image for that as well. Um, I think of uh, like a boxer before a boxing match. That if you've ever seen a boxer before a, a boxing match, how many of you are big boxing people? Yeah, that's right, me either. But I'm going to use this example. <laughs> so uh, the, a boxer before a ba- boxing match waiting for that bell to ring so that he can start is, is not just sort of standing there waiting, right? The boxer, if you've seen it, is moving around, is shaking out the legs, is getting the arms ready, is starting to throw some punches. The boxer is waiting actively for, for the match that will come up. And that's, the, that's an image that has made sense to me with this passage as well. That we are to be a people that, is, that, are, that are waiting actively and eagerly for what God will do. Verse 20 says this, uh, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, so a couple of things about these verses here. Uh, one is this uh, brokenness that has happened with the original sin that has led to humanity being broken and also creation being broken. Uh, we were then subjected to futility. Futility means that nothing will come of our work. Nothing will come of our labor or our action. We're, we're subjected to futility in our sin. Meaning that no matter how hard we try or what we can do in, in, in our sinful state, uh, there will not be things of eternal worth that will come out of what we do. It's futile that we are now subjected to a slavery, not willingly, uh, not willingly because uh, we, we didn't commit the original sin. The original sin with Adam and Eve was created, but now we are subjected to that same futility and that same slavery all these generations later. 
Now, we make up for it by our own sins that we contribute to the mess. And, there's, and we have become now subject to our own sins that we have stepped into along the way. But we are now subjected to slavery to sin. And there's now this dominion or there's now this uh, authority of the power of the prince of the air. That the devil is now uh, actually subjecting creation and humanity uh, to bondage. And so the hope, and, and I looked up this word hope to find out what hope means, right? Hope means that there's an expectation that some outcome will happen. There's a, there's a longing or an expectation for some outcome to happen. Uh, and, we, and we understand this as well. Um, I promised myself that I wouldn't mention our disappointment recently about the hope that we had in certain playoff series. Uh, but... We, we understand this idea about putting our hope in a certain outcome. And we do this all the time. We, we put our hope in different kinds of things in the world. Well, God is telling us here that our only hope, the only rightful place for our hope is in Him. Our only rightful place for hope is in what He will do. And specifically in 21, it tells us what that hope is. The hope in 21 is that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and that we will obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's a double-sided hope here. The hope in this passage is that we will be set free from the bondage that we are in. Now, there's a a guy in my small group, um, I'm not going to point him out, but who said that he's looking forward, the thing that he's looking forward to the most in, when, he, when, we gets to, when he gets to heaven, is not having to struggle with sin anymore. That there will be a rest from that battle. That, there'll be, they'll be, they'll, that, that, that struggle that we've gone through in, in our bondage and being subjected to futility will be gone. That hope that we have, that dual-sided, double-sided hope that we have, is that we won't have that struggle anymore, and in place of that, we will have this freedom of walking with God. And that's the good news that's in this passage is that God has enabled by the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit, God has enabled his people to look forward to that time when we were once and for all be rescued from the bondage of sin and living in the freedom as children of God. That is good news. And so 21, the creation itself will also be renewed. The creation itself will also be uh, set free from the bondage. And the creation itself will also obtain the freedom that God intended. I'm so thankful for that, that good news. Verse 22 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The phrase that jumped out at me about this is this groaning together. That there's sort of a solidarity in the groaning. And what that means for us is that none of us is exempt from this suffering to varying degrees. Now, some people may suffer more than others. That's true. But none of us is going to go through life without some kind of suffering. No one is exempt. And instead, we are going to be in this boat together. That we are all groaning together with this pain and suffering. I think about uh, back to uh, when, when Liz was giving birth, uh, we went through the, the Bradley method, if anybody has heard of the Bradley method, which was sort of an idea of a certain kind of breathing, a certain kind of partnering in this, uh, and the idea was that if I would go through as, as the dad, if I would go through the process of breathing with Liz, going through the process of 
childbirth groans with Liz, if I were to go through the process of that, of that, that labor with Liz, that she would have a sense that she's not alone in it and that there was some solidarity of what's going on and that it might actually lessen some of her pain and some of her struggle if I was there with her in it. And this is what we get in this passage as well, is that there's a solidarity of the fact that all of us are groaning together in some sense and that the Holy Spirit meets us there with his peace and his hope and his joy that we might know that we're not alone in the suffering. I also thought about this, too, in terms of one of the most difficult parts of the process for me as a husband and as a father was listening to Liz in pain and not being able to take away her pain. That was one of the hardest parts of that process for me, that there's the pain that goes on there that I can't do anything about to take it away. And I thought about how much that one childbirth groan, one woman groaning, uh, made such an impact on me. And here we hear that the whole creation is groaning in pain. That gives you some sense of how large this suffering is that sin has brought about in the world. Gives you some sense of how God the Father might view the whole creation groaning in pain. That that grieves God's heart as well. And that God is intending to set this right in the future. Uh, Verse 23 says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now that's interesting there as well. It's furthering, showing the distinction between uh, humanity and creation. That not only creation is groaning, but we too are also groaning. And again, we will eagerly wait, that we will wait actively, that we will wait with anticipation that God is going to do something, that God is working at work and will complete the, thing, the work that he started. Uh, there's that phrase again, adoption as sons. Again, we talked about how that is a connection to the Roman culture of adoption, that there was sort of the, the landmarks of the now and the not yet. But here, there's also the addition of the redemption of our bodies. And that's a super interesting addition here uh, in verse 23. Meaning that uh, our bodies outwardly are wasting away, but inwardly are, 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 are being renewed. And we're going to see that in another passage a little bit later. But that inwardly, even as our bodies are breaking down, even as our bodies are struggling, as even as our bodies are broken, that the Holy Spirit enables our inward renewal, even in the midst of all of that. And that's, a, that's one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in this passage. Um, the, this is the only verse of the text for today that mentions what the Holy Spirit does. Some of the other uh, texts that we've looked at in this series, there's more mention of the Holy Spirit. Here, what we have is this phrase, first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits was a phrase that meant the very best, the very best of what could be offered is what's given first. Um, it also has the connotation of what Paul will say in other places, which is that we have the deposit of the Spirit. That God has given us this deposit of the Holy Spirit as a way of saying there's more coming. Here's what you have now. There's a deposit. There's a first fruits. It's the best and it's the deposit. Knowing that later on God will continue that work. So the Holy Spirit is deposited. If you are a believer in Christ, if you've come to follow and believe Christ, 
the Holy Spirit indwells you in such a way that, uh, that seals that, that reality, is what Ephesians says. That there's a sealing of the believer in the Holy Spirit. It's how you can know if you are in Christ. It's how you can know if you are saved by God, that the Holy Spirit indwells in you. And there will be a sense that later on, even though the Holy Spirit is renewing us inwardly now, the Holy Spirit will renew us outwardly later. And that's good news for us also. So there's a past that is free in Christ, but we're a present that is tethered to the broken world. And Frank kind of talked about that in his Romans 7 introduction to this passage. But we have the opportunity now then to live into that present reality of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That eagerly waiting word, again brought up, gives us the connotation that we are to be active as we wait, anticipating that God will do. Verse 24 says this, For in this hope we were saved. What hope is that? It's the hope that the creation will be freed from bondage and that we will live into that freedom in God. For that hope, we were saved. In that hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. That sounds very simple, but it's a very profound statement. It's not hope if we've already seen that it's a reality. Hope hope is something that has not yet come to be. Uh, It's something that we can't yet see. It's uh, similar to what Hebrews 11 says about faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 says this, But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. In other words, faith is... uh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Hebrews 11.1 is this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Meaning that there's an evidence for what we're hoping for. We just haven't seen it come to fruition yet. And so when we talk about this hope that we have in Christ, we're talking about a hope that is not seen. It's a hope that we haven't yet been able to see. And then Paul asks this question in 24, who hopes for what he sees? Who is it that actually hopes for something that he already sees? That would be silly. I've already gotten this thing, and so I don't need to hope for it any longer. It sounds simple, but we kind of also understand how this goes. That we tend to want to put our hope into things that we want one day. And Paul is saying here that the only real place to place our hope is in Christ because he's the only one that won't let us down. Verse 25 says this, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, there's that, we wait for it eagerly and with patience. Now, a couple of things on that. That word patience can also be translated as perseverance. Uh, it can, it, it, and the doctrine that we get of perseverance of the saints comes out of that. We, we sang about it earlier in that song, Morning Will Come, that if we just keep holding on, that the morning will come. That doctrine, perseverance of the saints, is that we would continue to persevere through the difficult things of this life and hold on to the prize that is ours in Christ. Now, from a theological perspective, what the Scripture teaches is that the Spirit is the one that actually enables us to hold on in the first place. So I can't come up with my own strength to hold on to Christ But the Spirit is the one who actually enables us to have that perseverance of the saints. That the Spirit will hold on to us and cause us to hold on to God. And so we wait eagerly with anticipation. Like that boxer who is is waiting to get into the match. 
or like a person who is uh, studying actively, uh, waiting for the test that, that can, be, can finally graduate college. Or here you go, like the mother who is just waiting for this baby to come out. And it's the due date long gone, and we're just waiting for this to happen. That mother would not say that they were just waiting idly. I made the mistake of this once when I was talking in conversation, and I said to somebody, Liz had to wait 42 hours in her first labor for Charlotte. And Liz looked at me, and she said, I was not waiting. I was laboring. (laughs) And that's right. The Christian doesn't just wait. The Christian labors as we wait on the Lord. And so here are the four things that we've seen that the Holy Spirit does for us. One, the Holy Spirit causes us to endure present suffering. The Holy Spirit causes us to wait for the glory yet to be revealed. And the Holy Spirit causes us to hope for freedom. The Holy Spirit causes us to wait eagerly with patience. Now, I want to pause just for a moment here uh, to give us a summary statement of what this text has said. And then we'll talk about a few pregnancy problems. The summary statement is this. The Holy Spirit causes us to endure present suffering and wait eagerly with patience for the hope of freedom and the glory yet to be revealed. And I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. Uh, Now let's talk uh, for a couple of minutes just about pregnancy problems. And the reason I would like to talk about this is as, as Ben read earlier and shared earlier, this is a day that is not only a day of celebration on Mother's Day, but also a day that is a day of sorrow for many people. And I couldn't help but think through, as we're using the childbirth language in this Romans 8 passage, some of the pregnancy problems that do come up. Uh, One is this, that pregnancy oftentimes might be very difficult. And just as though uh, the the woman is going through much difficulty in in the process of childbirth, uh, metaphorically, God's people are going to go through very difficult things in their walk with God. The good news in this process is that the Holy Spirit causes us to be able to do hard things. That the Holy Spirit causes us to be able to go through difficult things for the glory that is to come later. And that may not make it easier at the time, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in our our lives can help us to endure and walk through that. And so my heart goes out to people who are going through very difficult times and or very difficult pregnancy. Um, Another pregnancy problem is that you might feel very alone during your pregnancy or what God is bringing you through. You might feel as though you're you're isolated in that process, that uh, that it's just you against the world. Um, We were talking yesterday at our See Jesus training event here that there was uh, what's called the J-curve, that that Jesus uh, lived and then died and then rose again on the other side. And the idea is that all believers will also go through that process. Um, At the bottom of that J-curve, where there's the death, there is a sense where you are alone. Um, It's why Christ on the cross says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? There's this isolation in that day. Well, we can know, we can know that the Holy Spirit, having indwelled you as a believer, will not forsake you or leave you on your own, even in the midst of the most difficult parts of your life. And so even in the very difficult times, you can know that the Holy Spirit will be there with you. This is kind of a humorous one, but there are people who go into six and seven months without even knowing that they're pregnant, 
There's a whole reality show about it. Anybody ever seen that reality show? Yeah, me either, but it's there, it, 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 ha- it happens. There's, there are people who go through this whole process without knowing that they're pregnant, and they find out, and they've made a television show about it. Um, I, I use that to think of, of, about this as it pertains to Romans 8 and the rest of, of us, is that uh, there are times where God might be bringing us through a childbirth process that we aren't yet aware of. And we want to ask the Holy Spirit, and we want, to, uh, we want to read in the Scripture, and we want to talk with those around us that are in Christ about what it is that God might be bringing us through in our, in our moments and have our radar up for that. Another pregnancy problem is that there are times when the, the baby is just overdue and like just can't wait to get this baby out. And if you talk with somebody who's near their due date or, or, or even past their due date, you get the impression, I just want this baby out of me. And there's a sense where even in that, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort that God's timing is the right timing for us. That you might be going through something that you think, God, isn't it just time for this to be done? And the idea is that God's comfort and timing is right for us, even though we might be struggling in the process. Another pregnancy problem is if the pregnancy does not come to completion, or if there's a miscarriage, or if there's a loss of a child, which is something that I know that you all in this room have gone through. And my heart goes out to you. My heart grieves with you in that. And I will say that even in that process, the Holy Spirit does not forsake you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit will even cause for others in the, in, in the body of Christ to come alongside during that time. And I've seen that happen as you, as you all have grieved and also comforted one another in that reality. There's a pregnancy problem when we, uh, when we, we actually try, when we have what, what people would term as an unwanted pregnancy, when there's something that God has put on our path that we might actually not want to be on our path, and we might be tempted to take things and in, matters into our own hands. Um, I'll say this in that case, that God knows better than we do what we need to have on, in our path. And there's a sense where even in moments like that, that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom for next steps. And that we need to honor the fact that God has given us this opportunity, even in the difficulty of pregnancy, to submit to his will and his leadership and his guiding in our lives. And just from a metaphorical standpoint, there are times all the times, there are often times when God will put on our path things that uh, we may not want to do, but that we know is right to do in the Lord. Pastor Frank likes to say this, that he knows that it's the Holy Spirit talking to him when it's something that he doesn't want to do. And I would submit to you that in the, in the case of, of, of pregnancy where you are unsure of wanting to be on this process, I would, I would submit to you that the Holy Spirit would cause you to submit that to the Lord and follow the Lord's leading and how God will help you get through this childbirth process the way that he desires for you to. The last thing that I would say about that is that if you are in this room going through any of these things and you need somebody to talk to, we would love to talk with you about it. Not only if you are literally pregnant, but also if you are metaphorically experiencing a childbirth process and you'd like for people to come alongside. We want to be there as the church to help you with that. And you might even take us up on prayer after the service to be able to talk with you. 
The good news in all of these pregnancy problems is that the Holy Spirit is able to help us endure so that his will might be done in our lives and that we would not be bound to sin, but we would obtain freedom in Christ. Now, just uh, a few notes about waiting eagerly with patience. This was three times in the passage, and so anytime something is three times in a passage, you know it's pretty important. So this idea of waiting eagerly with patience is what I want to dive into in terms of application. So a few notes on waiting eagerly with patience. The first is this. This is that uh, this is not passive waiting. It's an active waiting. This is something that God intends for us to be actively waiting on him. And the best example from Scripture in this is in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31. that says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now think about how many verbs there are in that I'm waiting on the Lord passage, that as you wait on the Lord, you're mounting up with wings, you're running, and you're walking. That sounds like active waiting to me. The second note on waiting eagerly is that we may indeed groan and or grieve while we wait. The truth is that as we wait on the Lord and as we wait actively, there will be difficult times for us. Jesus promised that. And as well in James chapter 5, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And so James, who had in his first chapter of the book said, do not uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many, time, of many kinds, is now saying to be patient in the midst of that suffering as you wait on the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The third thing that we should know about waiting eagerly is that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Instead, we grieve as those who are hopeful in the Spirit. Redemption Arcadia just had a service on Friday for the passing of Jim Moreland. And this is something that we are grieving about as a church, not as those who have no hope, but as those who have hope in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, But We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And this is good news, that the same Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you and will raise you at the last day as well. The fourth thing that we want to think about, about waiting eagerly with patience, is that we, as we wait, outwardly we will waste away, but inwardly we will be renewed day by day. And that's good news that the spirit of hope, though we are outwardly wasting away, will cause us to be renewed internally. Uh, 2 Corinthians four thirteen to 18 says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love how in Scripture you can get the sense that from book to book, there's the same message happening. That whether it's Romans 8 or 2 Corinthians 4, that this same message applies to us. That you might have hope today that even if you are outwardly wasting away, that God can, by His Spirit, inwardly renew you so that your hope might shine for others as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we don't lose heart as in this process because God has overcome this world and this difficulty. The good news today for us is that if you are in Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can wait eagerly with patience. And my prayer is that the, the spirit of hope would indwell in you in such a way that he would cause you to be able to do that today. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that that's true, that you are our living hope, and that by your spirit you enable us, you cause us to be able to endure present suffering, enable for us to, Lord, long for this freedom that is possible in you. God, we praise you that that same spirit that raised us from the dead is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and we have great hope in us. That, God, you raised us, spiritually speaking, and at the last day you will also, Lord, redeem our bodies. We are so thankful, God, that you have delivered us from death. And, God, even now, in this now and not yet reality where we wait for that eternal consequence of your freedom, God, we praise you and want to live in such a way that your spirit of hope shines through us. God, we take now communion and we pray your blessing over these elements, over the cup and the bread, symbols of your body and your blood given for us to enable us, Lord, to walk in this newness of life. And we praise you, God, that you have given this opportunity of salvation. So, Lord, as we respond, may we do so with a sense of the fruit of your spirit, of your love and your joy and your peace your kindness, your faithfulness, your gentleness. Lord, would you be glorified in us, your church, even now as we respond with communion and with worship. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we will have two communion stations at the sides here. We want to invite you to come down the center aisles to take communion. Uh, this is a, a process that we do as believers. If you are a believer, we would like to invite you to come and take this communion. If you're not, we would love to inv- uh, extend an invitation to you today to accept Christ, the, the spirit of hope that is possible and available for you. There will be people that are at the sides praying uh, for anybody who needs prayer, and we just would love for you to come to talk to one of them if, if you would like to accept Christ today. And for all the rest of us, we can respond in, in worship, we respond with communion. There are boxes in the back that we can uh, give offering and tithes today. Uh, we can respond by prayer and worship. Um, my prayer is that as we respond, that spirit of hope would exhibit and shine through you as we respond to this reality of hope in Christ. Amen.
response to this hope that we have. Let's sing this together. All hail King Jesus. There was a moment when the lights went out When death had claimed its victory Stay in history. There on the cross he made for sinners. For every curse his blood atoned. One final breath and it was finished. But not the end we could have known.
Amen. Amen. Our benediction for this week is a sending prayer for you to remind you as you leave. This is how Paul ends this section of Romans 8. So for benediction over us, remember, church, that you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Paul says he's sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, not heights, not depths, not anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. Go in that peace. Go live all of life all for Jesus. Thank you for worshiping with us. We'll see you next week.